Hello and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Duran. I'm Nick. I'm Daniel. Today we're joined by a very special guest, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? My name is Daniel. I um, have a site uh, that I've just started up, uh, 237cinema.wordpress.com. Um, check it out if you want to hear my opinions on just anything, um, anything movie or music related. Uh, probably not too much music. Uh, I mostly uh, stay in and watch movies all the time. So, uh, yeah. So, there you go. And that way we're very similar. Definitely go check that out. Yep. Very cool site. Um, and today, Daniel suggested we watch um, Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. But before we get into that, the news. First thing in the news, as always, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Cinema's greatest gift to the world, the greatest director of all time, descends from the heavens and, and produces a beautiful four by three, four hour long nightmare. We we started this we we are starting and ending this podcast with the Snyder Cut. We started when the news was announced, and baby, we are going to close it down. That will be our last episode. Our last episode. Hopefully not. I want to keep this going. No, no, no. no. Our last episode will be a four-hour episode on the Snyder Cut. We we're going to be commenting as we watch. I completely wasted. Yes. Actually, we're going to uh, you know you know what we're really going to do. We're gonna we're gonna make four hours about each hour. That's that's I think that's the, that's the the way the right way to do media analysis. Yes. Um, like all those, those like twelve hour, hour Jedi last, last Jedi, Jedi reviews. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> do we have? My God. Do we have anything new to say about the Snyder Cut? <laughs> um, what do you mean? What new things do we have to say? They literally made Joker say we live in a society in this trailer. Like, there's nothing more newsworthy than. Zack Snyder spending seventy million dollars just to make Jared Leto say that. <laughs> he, That's the news. He has to know, right? He, he just he has to know. Oh, he definitely knows. He his his tweet about the trailer was just the words "We live in a society," not the rest <laughs> of the quote. Just "We live in a society." Jesus Christ. Um, we were talking a little bit uh, like earlier a few days ago about how. This is not the Snyder Cut anymore. This idea of the Snyder Cut that came about, all these like DC nerds like begging for it, um, that idea is completely gone. This is a completely <laughs> new animal, in the sense that like Snyder has used like all those years um, to like think about and retailer his vision of the film. This is no longer his original twenty seventeen whatever vision of the film. I highly doubt. In 2017, he was planning on making this movie four hours long and in four by three for some reason. But I think that he's using this kind of like, I was going to say fake prestige, but you know, real prestige, <laughs> let's be honest, to, to make something completely different, to have like the aesthetic of, a, of like a magnum opus, you know? It's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to kind of look at what this has become because you know the 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 whole original campaign like release the Snyder cut was based on the notion that there was one that yeah. one did exist 
and that it, it wasn't it didn't need to be filmed it didn't need to they just needed to release it or edit it together or whatever they needed to do exactly but yeah now <laughs> now they've now they've just created something new and i think and i think uh what's what's funny here is that like i think the big plan that Zack snyder has was to release justice league in like three different as like three different parts three different movies like when when he still had control over the full thing but now he like can't do anything else like i think warner brothers has told him like this is your last ride so, yeah, like, so like he's going make it count him, right yeah so it's weird how there's like this kind of like uh i don't know retrospective thing going on where like yeah this is completely like away from what he originally intended is it the uh, the intention has changed you know over over all these years it's kind of like um well, i guess this might be a bad example but how um like wong kar wai is allegedly like butchering his films for like the new release um hmm. he's like he's like changing a lot of um the colors and uh like the, the aspect ratios and stuff from when they were originally released in theaters and like that's been like you know rightfully so like um making a lot of people angry um especially because like it's being sold as a restoration and not like a i don't know new thing yeah not not as like a reimagining yeah yeah i mean like so these are gonna be the um the the cuts available in the criterion release of world of one car wide oh yeah which is gonna be weird yeah I heard that from the people who have actually seen the cuts that they're better, but I haven't seen too many of the films. I've only seen Chunking Express and In the Mood for, for, for Love from him, so I don't really have anything to compare it to. Um, yeah, I mean, like, they, they very well, like, might be might be better. Um, that's not, yeah. like, I don't really think that's, like, the issue. It's, it's more of, um, like, once you release something to the world... Uh, I think that that creator or the people behind it have a certain responsibility to keep that intact to that original release, you know, because once something is released, it becomes property of the people, I would say, you know, that art becomes like solidified in the mind of everyone, you know, who's watched it. So I have no problems with like directors going back and re-editing their stuff. I just think that there's kind of a responsibility to restore the original versions as much as possible. Um, alongside you know making whatever new things that there are but uh but getting back to the snyder cut so we don't go too off track um yeah yeah this is this is something completely different right well we we will never know what Zack snyder's original intention for justice league would have been you know for better or worse yeah well we have we have we have some idea and i mean like if you really want to look into it you can but like ah man I, th- I think he did lay out like what the three film plan would have been, and yeah, I mean he certainly described Zack Snyder uh, Zack Snyder movies. So um, true, <laughs> uh, <laughs> man. Um, no, but uh, I, I I do I think the um, the notion that you bring up is important of directors kind of sitting on their work because I'm kind of interested in how. Um, obviously the American system isn't the only system of movies, but like what 
this what this long period of break does to really any movie um kind of just what things being in the can but now they've been in the can some of them for like almost a year so what what are they doing like that we don't even know about that they may be like changing movies like micromanaging them to hell simply because they have the time to do so now and i don't know i just i find that notion very interesting yeah it is interesting it's kind of like how um these movies that started like filming before quarantine uh were like finished filming after like the new like borat movie yeah and how, like that whole like uh the coronavirus aspect got like incorporated into the story for a movie like Borat, it kind of makes sense because, like, the narrative is, is, like, pretty loose and it's, like, made after uh, most of the footage is filmed. But, yeah, for, like, a for like a feature film, um, like, like, a, like a normal feature film, I, I wonder how that would go. Yeah. Because I think, uh, you know, I don't know, movies like uh, the, the sequel to the 2018 Halloween, like, that one was done... And, like, Black Widow is done, and, like, a lot of the Marvel movies, I think, are just done, and they're just sort of sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're just kind of sitting on these, waiting for whatever they expect to happen to happen, and, like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's just, you know, it's, like I say, it's, it's interesting to think about what these movies would have looked like when, if they came out when they were supposed to versus, you know, having this time to sit on them. Right. But I don't know. That's that's all speculation and stuff. So, isn't news anyway? Joker said we live in a society. So like, there's there's you know, <laughs> at the end of the day that that's at true. the end of the day nothing else matters. That's true. That's true. But anyway, um, you guys have anything more to say about this damn trailer? I think we could do like a whole like three-hour episode just on the we live in a society quote to be honest just like oh yeah 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 yeah. and like not only that part of the trailer but like just go through every millisecond and break down every like single detail we see on screen scene by scene the the dark knight returns bat tank is fucking it's it's there it's in it i didn't even notice that i think we should go frame by frame (laughs) (laughs) so you miss things like the the bat tank I, I, I have yet to watch all of Zack Snyder's movies frame by frame. I need to do that now. I mean, you blink watching movies, so, like, you never will. Not if you focus yep. on each frame for, like, five minutes at a time, you know? Well, that's true. Yeah. Daniel, what is your favorite Zack Snyder film? I've, I've only seen, uh... I saw 300 as a kid, and, um... He made Dawn of the, the Dawn of the Dead remake, didn't he? Yeah. He did. Yeah. But that's probably the only one of his that I didn't hate. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, it's not even that good. I heard that um, like uh, a lot of like the political commentary was like lost on that. Yes. That's stupid. Yeah, the ending was like, the script of that. The ending was good. Um, it's pretty much in line with the original. Um, in that the zombies win. Uh, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Dawn of the Dead. Um, uh, but they, they kind of do twist it just a little bit. They, um, they go to an island in the remake, and then even on the island, the zombies are there anyway, and they oh, win wow. again. Oh, wow, that's pretty funny. 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, that was a good twist, I thought. Hmm. The rest of the movie isn't that great, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll see what, well, the, what the auteur pulls out of his ass for this one. Yeah. <laughs> Cinema's greatest auteur. All right. Um, Cinema's only great auteur. <laughs> that's... Yeah, honestly. 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 Who's, yeah. who's, whose movies are more recognizable in today's Hollywood than Zack Snyder? I'll tell you, I'll tell you who. Bellator. Nobody, baby. Uh, I mean, Bellatar's not an American, so <laughs> it doesn't, he doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Um, so uh, Paddington 3 has been confirmed. Um, you, uh, you can now applaud. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so the funny little cute bear uh, is getting a third movie. Um, as we know, the last one scored a perfect 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and is I think still the technically like the highest rated film there. But um, anyway, the important thing about the confirmation of Paddington Three is that the director of the first two Paddingtons, uh, Paul King. Uh, will not be making this one. And a lot of what people say is, you know, magic and great about the first two is uh, in part because of his directing. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where this goes and who might pick it up. Uh, who might who might sit in the director's chair for this one. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I watched the, the, the second one. I haven't seen the original. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I guess... I did enjoy it. I guess I didn't. I didn't really see like the hype behind it, though. Do you? Do you have like any insight into that? Um. I honestly, I think the hype just comes from why are these movies as good as they are, really? Um. Because I I watched the first Paddington like on Netflix, and I was just like, wait, this is really like cute and good. The, like you, you just don't expect like the level of quality that they that they put into these movies from a kids film. So I think mm. part of it comes from that. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, that makes that, sense. A lot, of, a lot of like kids films do like cut unnecessary corners. Yeah, because like I mean, kids like good movies too. Yeah, like, they're just not they're not they're just yeah. not really aware of like what makes a good movie good at that age. Yeah. But um, you know, I love Paddington. I'm I'm very excited to see what happens hopefully bong joon ho keeps his promise that he is directing paddington 3 dude bong joon ho is gonna become the new like del toro so, oh speaking of del toro as a good as a good uh slide yep. into uh pan's labyrinth but never mind we're gonna get that to late, later anyway but um what was i saying okay so i feel like bong joon ho is becoming the new del toro in a sense that like he has like a shitload of announced projects that will like never see the light of day yeah yeah eh. <laughs> these things happen yeah it's unfortunate too because like you know they're both so talented um and and uh they've made they've made like a, a few films by now both of them but like I think, yeah. I think their filmography is still like under like 10 films there's there's nothing sadder than like going on the wikipedia page for like unrealized projects for directors that you really love and just seeing like how much shit was just tossed out the window because at their time they weren't you know popular they weren't making money i'll still never forgive. my heart yeah i'll still never forgive konami for canceling silent hills yeah good stuff 
good 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 uh good demo good for demo. <laughs> yeah damn we'll never see it dude well it's gone it's gone it's so sad yep anyway enough sadness we're we're talking about we're talking about paddington the cutest little bear that ever did live um i don't know we're not really talking about paddington anymore that's that's all i really have to say you know hopefully paddington 3 goes well but uh daniel would you uh like to take this next piece Sure. So also in the news was a new essay that Martin Scorsese wrote, which, uh, as per usual, pissed off a lot of people on the Internet. Um, so he uh, went on to Harper Magazine, wrote an essay called Il Maestro, um, basically a um, kind of tribute to Federico Fellini. And um, for the first couple of paragraphs in the uh in the essay, he um, kind of he makes up this scenario of a a young man walking through um, Greenwich Village and just being surrounded by classic cla- classic uh, foreign cinema, and then right um, right on his uh, first real paragraph because I guess you can consider that anecdote a um, an introduction. So. The first sentence, I think, is um, is probably what um, triggered a lot of people. So it goes, flash forward to the present day as the art of cinema is being systematically devalued, sidelined, demeaned, and reduced to its lowest common denominator content. <laughs> Indeed. I, I read that line, and then I immediately remembered why I love Martin Scorsese so much. <laughs> Uh, he's he's totally right. I think uh, content is like one of the worst words in the English language, because um, it's a it's like a it's a very capitalistic kind of word. You know, it's it's this idea that um, what you're selling to people is a product, and that product needs to like contain stuff, right? Content, so that they feel like their purchase was justified. And um, I think, you know, this is, like, a very unhealthy way of, like, viewing uh, art. Obviously, there's going to be art that's like this, you know? I mean, there's always been blockbuster films. There always will be blockbuster films. But um, I think he is right in saying that, like, um, the streaming era has um, maybe, like, overemphasized the, the need for content over the need for, like, something substantive or the artistic side yeah it's i mean uh yeah i mean, when, when he says it you kind of immediately get what he's saying that kind of uh you know dump of movies that you get on you know whenever you turn on netflix or hulu or whatever it's just like there's there's so much stuff now being thrown at you on any of those given platforms that uh you you just you don't even know what to watch anymore and you can't ever really find great content anymore or oh i said the c word <laughs> um <laughs> um cancel you're done um but like you can't find a lot of great movies anymore simply because they're just like under a mountain of garbage yeah, yeah. and it it sucks, and I, I get where he is coming from when he 
he kind of talks about this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is why, like, uh, he says later that uh, curation is not, like, elitist, you know? It's just, like, a way of getting people to feel, like, other people's, like, tastes in films and stuff like that. Um, in a lot of ways, like, curation is, is missing from, uh, like, the modern-day streaming model. Uh, like, like Netflix's algorithm, even if you would be interested in something not typically within what the algorithm Netflix, you know, gives you, uh, if you'd be interested in, like, let's say the other side of the wind, right? It will never be recommended to you if you, like, you know, mainly watch, like, sitcoms, right? Because of of the way, like, the algorithm works. Yeah. It's, uh... kind of... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, so it kind of keeps people locked into a box, just kind of uh, watching more and more of the same things and being recommended more and more of the same things. But via algorithm, you're just, you're recommended these things based on um, something something that's not human. So it, it doesn't, the, the recommendations that you're given aren't even, aren't even genuine. It's, it, it's like, oh, you like, uh, uh, Daron mentioned sitcoms. So let's say, oh, you liked How I Met Your Mother. Maybe you like Friends. And I mean, maybe you don't, don't, don't like Friends, but because they're sitcoms, you'll just get recommended them. And you, you won't be recommended anything outside of that. You, you'll just, uh, I think if you just follow the algorithm, that is, uh, which I don't think most, most people do, um, uh, yeah, well, even if, like, they want to break out of the algorithm, it's kind of difficult. Because, yeah. like, uh, you know, all these other options are hidden to them. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing There's nothing I like more than going onto a streaming service that, like, thinks it knows what the fuck I want to watch. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then watching something that's, like, completely unlike everything else that I've watched. And just having it, like, yeah. freak out because it doesn't know what to recommend me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, like, there is also kind of another side to this where well, yeah. because we have, like, so much content available to us, how do we decide what to watch? Yeah. Um, and, like, there really isn't, like, a good way of going about this. Like, um, there was this kind of relief, you know, back in the day when you used to watch cable in, like, the 30s. You would just, like, turn on a channel and something would be on. Some movie, some whatever, even if it was terrible at least, like, it would be on, right? But now, if you go to, like, Netflix's front page, and you see, like, literally thousands of things that, like, all look, like, okay, or, like, the same, or whatever, it takes you a while to, like, you know, really choose something. And a lot of people, myself included, kind of just get overwhelmed, and so they either just, like, click the first thing, or just close out of the tab and don't actually watch anything. Yeah. I mean, I remember going, like, you know turning on the TV in, like, probably the late to early, late 2000s, early 2010s, where I would just turn on, you know, something like AMC. And back then, they were always reliable for, like, you know, something something good, something, like, classic American, like, action film would be playing. And I, you know, that's kind of how I got into movies, was I, I just, you know, watched kind of whatever was on tv if i if i wanted to I, I would look for something to watch and then part of that experience was just having it be there and then now it's 
gone because you have to look yourself and people don't know uh, what they want you know? yeah, yeah yeah people people simply don't know what they want um, and you know how are you supposed to find your next favorite thing if you don't know what that next favorite thing looks like mm-hmm. yeah but um you know like martin says you know he he would go to the theater and all the theaters would have you know these hand-picked curated movies with um you know Federico Fellini or you know Rossellini or whatever Eni you wanna you wanna watch uh, they were they were there. Oh, for sure, Pasolini. <laughs> they were there and and not a not a lot of garbage. Although yeah. I don't know how genuine that that really is because I'm sure there was tons of garbage that was also put on. Oh yeah, I'm sure too. Um, I mean, the whole the the idea of curation is not so that like you're maximizing your ability to watch something good, right? It's just that like it's to expose you to things that you wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. So, I yeah. mean, inevitably that's going to lead to a lot of garbage. Um, but probably maybe, maybe less garbage than the alternative. And you know what? Some garbage is worth the watch despite that. Some garbage is okay. Yep. Um, the way that Criterion and, and movie work, I think is pretty cool. So like on, on Criterion's streaming service, um, they don't really have an algorithm uh to recommend you anything which can can be daunting too because like their backlog is is pretty big so it's kind of difficult to know where to start but they have like their only little collections right so they have like let's say like 18 godard films like over here or like like five like tarkovsky films like over here or whatever or sometimes they'll have like broader collections like um afrofuturism was like a recent one they did um one i want to get into soon i think is um like uh, Japanese noir, like that's that's another one they put up recently. Um, so there isn't really, if like you know these concepts or whatever sound interesting to you, you can like click through it, select what you want, and, and watch from there. Um, and of course they always have like the tabs that show you like which films are leaving the service, which I think that Netflix really like needs to have. Um, or other yeah, I think some of them. I think some of them usually have like you know this is leaving whenever but I don't yeah know. so so like uh i know like for for certain movies if you like click on them sometimes it says like it's leaving at a certain time but like there isn't like a a whole list of stuff like leaving the service that's like easy to like access um, yeah there really needs to be a section like that I, i've found so many um so many films from the leaving section and criterion channel yeah yeah um I've watched probably, like, most of the films I've watched on Criterion were the ones that were just leaving the service. Because it kind of, like, gets you, like, around to actually, like, you know, watching it. Um, and, you know, yeah. A lot of those are just absolutely amazing. Um, and and the, great, the greatest part is that on, on the other end of that, there's also the stuff that's new to the service. Because every month they take some stuff off, but they bring way more stuff on, too. And they also have the Saturday um, matinee. So if you just want to sit down on the Saturday and just watch whatever, um, just whatever feel-good, usually it's a feel-good movie, uh, whatever feel-good movie they recommend, th there'll be something there. And they have the the double bill. I don't know what the, uh, what the name is it for, double feature, um, what what they call it. But if there's... Um, there's a movie that you like, like say uh, somebody likes uh, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. They 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 just paired it with Lay Samurai from John Melville. So mm -hmm. you can watch those two back to back or whenever you feel like, and um, 
you know, any fan of Melville will discover Jarmouche or any fan of Jarmouche will discover Melville. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I, t I forgot about that. Um, I, I got to watch Ghost Talk. But, um, I, I saw they added that recently. I need to get, get around to that. Um, yeah. yeah. Although the, the, you know, the problem really comes from, you know, I, I think we've created a, a kind of, you know, audience with this podcast that's mostly, um, I don't really know what it mostly looks like, but I mean, uh, the problem with like bringing up the Criterion channel is like, it's not super popular. And like, I, I think the problem really lies with like the mainstream Netflix, all those people. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. That, that's yeah. why we were saying that we were kind of like suggesting. Yeah, um, no, I, I get you. It's just like, I don't know. It's, this is such a hard problem to tackle because yeah. we just have no control over it at all. I mean, something, uh, something Netflix could do was maybe like hire a couple, um, curators or like the poor yeah. guys that have like lost their jobs because of the pandemic that would like do those um uh like festivals at, at theaters right. or whatever hire a couple of those right, guys yeah. make like a selection and give it and like uh release it really as like a block you know because like you know netflix the netflix li library is like gigantic right there's probably yeah. like there's probably like dozens of films that are on the service that i would love that i just have no idea are on the service yeah right? Um, and I, I think they are actually giving something like that a try. I think they are going to introduce... I, I heard that they were introducing some new mode that was like, you can just turn on the Netflix channel. Like, there's just going to be a, a place where, like, something is always on. Okay, which, that's pretty cool. I mean, that, mu that might be some kind of solution to it, but I assume they're only going to be pushing, like, you know netflix stuff like stranger things or ozark or you know yeah, stuff that they own that is true you, you do, we have to also get back to the aspect of like they yeah. need to push their stuff first above everything else yeah um but even with that even if it's with just their stuff i would say there's like so many cool netflix exclusives i had no idea were like ever released because like yeah they do a great job of advertising it right apparently like um sion solo well, released like uh like a four-hour movie on the other service, the, the Force of Love, that like I never heard about until huh. like way later. Um, there's like tons of examples of that. Yeah, I mean, I I think like I said, I think like a few episodes ago, they're they're really good now at finding like a niche and producing content for that niche. Um, I don't know. They have they have been getting better. Like uh, you know, stuff like Wormwood that you were watching, mm -hmm. or you know, uh that movie you just mentioned, it's just like, you have to, like, they are producing very specific content, but the problem is, is if you're not already, like, listening and looking out for that content, you'll probably miss it. Yeah, um, actually, I'm glad you brought up Wormwood. Um, this was a documentary by Errol Morris, like, uh, a May series about MK Ultra. It was very, very good. I highly recommend that. Um, but it came out, like, three, four years ago. I had no idea until, like, a couple months ago and like i would have i would have probably watched it had i known it existed a couple years back but i i literally had no idea that this thing even existed yeah um it's crazy so like, i am part of that audience i am part of that niche but even i like need to go out and like look for these kind of things yeah yeah because right. like yeah yeah i don't know i don't know uh this is fine <laughs> okay uh well that's all we have to say about this 
Um, Daniel, would you like to introduce uh, Pan's Labyrinth for us? Yes. So Pan's Labyrinth, I'm just going straight off uh, Wikipedia here. So uh, the story takes place in Spain during the summer of 1944, five years after the Spanish Civil War during the early Fran Francoist period. The narrative intertwines this real world with a mythical world centered on an overgrown abandoned labyrinth and a mysterious fawn creature with whom the main character, Ophelia, interacts. Ophelia's stepfather, the Falangus Captain Vidal, hunts the Spanish Marquis um, who fight against the Francoist regime in the region while Ophelia's pregnant mother, Car Carmen, grows increasingly ill. Ophelia meets several strange and magical creatures who become central to her story, leading her through the trials of the old labyrinth garden. Yes, yes, yes. Very, Sounds about right. Very, very yeah. interesting, very weird, very del Toro film. Um, Daniel, do you want to uh, start the conversation? Yes. So... Um, my general thoughts on the movie. So I watched it for the first time, maybe I want to say two years ago when I got the Criterion box set, the the three films that he has up there. Um, and it's a movie that I I'd, I'd heard about for so long. I mean, of course, um, being Latino and, and um, Guillermo del Toro being being um, one of the most well-known Mexican filmmakers. That it, it's it it's just one of those movies that you kind of have to watch. But I didn't watch it until uh, until so much later. And the uh, first time, I'd have to say that um, you have this mixture of like her fantasy world, and you have the brutal wartime, um, the brutal war that's going on at the same time. And you have this you have this contrast. You, um, I went into the Criterion booklet, and um, the the writer. Um, said that you you kind of you, you kind of can't tell whether her, what she's experiencing is subjective, whether it's really happening or not. I didn't get that feeling at all. I I, I kind of just assumed that that the fantasy was happening. And now on the second time that I'm watching it, I I think because he because because I read the the essay first, I I, I kind of saw that more. And, and saw myself questioning more whether what we were seeing from her perspective was real or not. Um, but I don't know. I think the the ending where she um, where where she uh, she dies and then you see her um, she has fulfilled the prophecy of the of the uh, of the fawn creature and she becomes this princess. That. Um, I don't know. That kind of cemented to me that, this, that these kind of things did happen, but it doesn't matter whether it it really happened or if it didn't. To her, they happened, and um, I think that's what matters. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, I think that it is interesting how the film plays with um, whether like this is subjective or or, or um, objective or, or real. You don't you don't really know i'd say until like the very end and arguably even at the end you don't really know like what's real or not um but i think i think your point is is a great one that it doesn't matter really whether um it's real or not because yeah to her it's real and so like all of her all of her struggles 
like her um her struggles and the with like you know her horrible stepfather and also her struggles with um the fantasy elements are all real to her and so she feels like she has accomplished like her own goals like what she set out to do yeah yeah um so this was actually the first time i had ever uh seen this film um and so i i gotta say like my expectations were like kind of in a weird place because i definitely thought there was going to be um more of the fantasy going on because um you know that's just kind of uh the the aura this film had at least i don't know uh to me when i was you know taking a look at it uh and to add to that debate um i think it is important to um to kind of figure out what real and what isn't cuz personally the message of the film changes or at least what i took away from the film changes based on whether these struggles were real or not um that message uh i think i thought it was uh you know you can't hide from the horrors of the real world around you with uh you know fantasy in your imagination but there's obviously a lot to contrast that in the film as well so i don't know i'm still trying to figure it out i've only seen this film uh about three hours ago so (laughs) it's very fresh in my mind as to what what all of this is Hmm. um Um, yeah we talked about it before uh, at the beginning before we started recording but um i was curious about your your idea that the film might be saying don't use fantasy to hide from the real world do you mind like expanding on that sure um so i don't know just in showing the the harsh realities of war and you know the the bottle scene and like you know all of the visceral violence that goes on in the film um is contrasted so harshly with um the fantasy elements and i know the fantasy elements are still like scary and i guess you could there's an argument there for like that's why they go hand in hand but um I just I just think that like the the whole point was that like she was trying to uh, believe in this magic that just wasn't there and eventually that got her killed. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm I'm still unpacking it, but from my perspective, that's kind of what I got out of it was that like in all of this violence, you can't just ignore it with fantasy. You have to kind of you know address it head on Hmm. um yeah um i think that it's interesting because i i would argue that the parts of this film which are set quote unquote the real world i would say that even these are like very exaggerated and almost made like fantastical so like let's take a look at the um the main villain for example yeah um captain vidal i think his name is yeah yeah um he is kind of like a cartoon villain yeah um yeah he is given like some kind of humanity at the very end 
where like he seems to like genuinely care about um his infant son but throughout like the whole film like he's expressing a kind of cruelty that really doesn't seem realistic you know yeah he seems like this like a kind of like a fantasy villain yeah and i guess that's that's um hard for me because like uh all the del toro movies that i have seen just kind of are in that style so i wasn't really sure if that was like i obviously like it's a bit over the top like how evil this man is but yeah at the same time like so was uh michael shannon in shape of water so like i'm going off of that so it's you know it's hard for me to you know kind of unpack this kind of going in reverse chronological order Hmm. so i i don't you know it's it's weird yeah just to go back to nick's point about how you can't um you can't just live in the fantasy that the real world um does as kind of a I mean, you can live in the fantasy, but you can't escape the real world. So um, I think that there may be something to that because um, Del Toro, uh, I, I recall that he uh, his his father was kidnapped in '97, and you probably have he, he there's he had spent um, the few years before that making Chronos, and that same year he had made um, made another film called Mimic. I haven't actually seen that one. But um, no, this is a filmmaker who's so like deep in the fantasy world. And then, I mean, it didn't matter that he was this famous filmmaker. It didn't matter that he had success. Um, I mean, the the real world, the the kidnapping still happened. His uh, his personal and professional life was still dis- disrupted by that. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, that I kind of. I didn't really put put like two and two together there. Yeah. Um I I think that um while there are like moments in the film that do lean more towards the realistic versus ones that are leaning more towards the fantastical, like very like obvious breaks. Um I do also think that the that the film attempts to kind of like merge these two. You know? Yeah. Um Yeah. So like uh like let's let, let's like think about like Rashomon for a second, right? Um, Daniel, you've seen Rashomon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in that film, there's like all these different accounts of what happened that are all like subjective, and we think at the very end we get the uh, the, the the real account, right? But it turns out that even that final account is also altered uh, because of um, the person's subjectivity. So. I don't I don't really know if there exists like a non-subjective um a view of, of pan. Like uh, I think that like every every like scene of the film is to a certain extent a bit fantastical. Yeah. Um and this is this is of course due to the fact that like um the main this like a lot of the the, the movie is from um Ophelia's point of view, right? And then she's uh has all these like fantastical visions but i would argue that because of this even the realistic like parts of the film aren't necessarily so realistic yeah hmm. 
Yeah. Well, um, you know, I was I was thinking about like, you know, elements um of the film that might um, you know, point one way or the other. I, I know I get that 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 this is not the point of the film, but for my own understanding I was trying to do this. Um one of the things that I thought about was how it, it really doesn't make sense at the end where um the general's chasing after her and she just you know, the walls open up, but you know, how did she escape that if it wasn't fantasy? Yeah, or like um, the uh, the chalk doors. Yeah. Um, how did she escape her for, from her captivity had she not just used the chalk door? I mean, there's always like a possibility that there there is some like logical explanation, but we don't know. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the I, since you brought it up, one of the details that I really like about that scene is that um, when she slams the door on um, the I man, what's 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 his face? Uh, pale man. The pale faced man. Yeah. Um. When when she slams the door on the pale faced man, it makes almost the exact same sound that um. Uh, earlier in the film, they describe as like the house talking, to uh, you know, to itself or whatever, whatever they say exactly. But you know how like you could hear creaking in that one scene where um. Mm. Yeah, it's it's almost the exact same sound, which I thought was you know very cool, and That's kind of adds adds to it. Yeah, I didn't notice that. That's cool. Um, but yeah, um, and so the ending obviously like we're we're showing this like this flower blooming, and of course she's now a princess at the end. So I'm I'm just very conflicted as to just sort of accept that like because this was important to her that that they really happened to her um i don't i don't know man i uh, you know like i said this is really fresh in my mind and i'll probably have to rewatch this a couple of times in the future hopefully not in succession because i hate doing that uh but um i i don't know there's a lot to unpack here that i'm i've certainly have not unpacked in you know seeing it so recently hmm. i don't know i think there's a lot to unpack i um i i i definitely look at the ending as hopeful um and that like she she has kind of reached i don't know like self-actualization by the end because like uh if, if one makes like some kind of like a personal life goal right um, let's say, Nick, you want to become a filmmaker, right? Yeah. And then you reach that life and, like, you're like, wow, I feel very, like, emotionally, spiritually fulfilled at this point. Hypothetically. Yeah. No one else really cares, right? I mean, like, of course, your family, your friends, or whatever will care. But, like, fundamentally, like, the world would not be, like, that different, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm... But the, the reason why it's so great for you it's because it matters to you that much yeah so um in this case like she was uh she was molding her own reality by using these like fantastical elements to create like a goal for herself huh. um yeah in in a world where um unless she does that there isn't really that much hope for her yeah because um so the movie starts with uh like uh, a a flash forward to the end right it shows like it's like a slow-mo of like her bleeding on, on the ground right and i yeah. 
And oh I God, I guess that yeah. I I didn't realize I forgot that she was at the beginning too. <laughs> yeah, me too. The first time I watched the movie, I completely forgot about that too. But um, so it starts with her like dead or dying. So we know that this, there's kind of like inevitability there. And so um, it's but what's important is the way that she chooses to live her life, you know, her very short life up to that point. And so she instead of choosing to despair, she cho- she chooses to like reshape or like create this own reality for her in which, you know, she she reaches like self-actualization in a way. Interesting. Um yeah, no, I, I Yeah. Um All right, I'll just have to think on that just cuz <laughs> I I can't respond to it directly right now. Um <laughs> but uh I don't know. There's there's a lot, you know, um there's just a lot here that um I think you could unpack and, you know, take away different messages from from the film because of it. And I uh elements uh elements like the birthmark moon like mm-hmm. that's another one where it's like was that really there anyway to to address your point directly um i don't know uh you know like uh like the writer says um how these how these things are kind of subjective i think you know just as much the viewer is uh, having a subjective experience watching it kind of, you know, you know, that's how these different interpretations arise is just by, you know, trying to interpret these uh, more fantastical elements. I agree. Um, I, I think that yeah. one of the genius parts of the film is that um, you, you kind of, you have to have your own interpretation by the end of it, or at least you have to be thinking about something the, the film isn't, doesn't give you like an easy kind of answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the ending, Daniel? But well, watching it the first time, I I thought it was cool that there was like that that by the uh, that the the beginning of the film was a flash forward to the ending. That I didn't really think much of it, but rewatching it and reading up on it, um, seeing how. Uh, Captain Bilal didn't see the fawn. I don't know. I don't know whether it's because you kind of have to already believe in the fantastical elements to see them. Maybe that's more of a um, yeah. Maybe that's more of a naive or optimistic view of it. I, I don't know. But um, but then but then also bringing subjectivity into it. it. Does he not see it there because it just doesn't exist? And then you bring up um, how um, I don't remember what you said exactly, but how there may be no, there there may be no objective view of this of this uh, movie. Um, I don't know. For me, I I kind of I kind of do stick by. Um, it, it doesn't really matter whether the fantastical element really happened or not. She. Um, she kind of just um, went full in on this this world that she invented for herself, mm-hmm. and by the end, um, she uh, she's taken out of the the real world, and um, she has that to go back to. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think that perhaps if I, I know what auteurs do this a lot with their movies, but if there's some sort of autobiographical aspect to this, um, because I, I think I do see some similarities here between Ophelia and pr- probably El Toro's upbringing at, mm-hmm. from interviews that I've heard from him about how he was always into comic books and horror movies and fantasy um, fantasy media. How he just he was just always um, into these sort of things, um, and Ophelia is into fairy tales and fantasy stuff too. So. Um, kind of kind of is or kind of from that aspect I, I think I see a message of um from del Toro's aspect of just um go into this fantasy world as much as you can just um just don't don't really pay any attention to um what what could be said about you or like what else is going on just if you're concentrate on this one world this one weird world just kind of go get into it mm-hmm. and i think i think from knowing like uh, i mean we don't know del toro but i mean like from what we've we, we know about him from interviews and media appearances he's he's still that same kid uh, he's i mean he had um i don't know if he still has it but that whole house full of weird collectibles and right. um yeah, yeah i love his yeah. house <laughs> I don't. I heard heard a few years ago that, that burned down, but I'm not sure if it was oh, saved. That sucks. Oh no! That, I hope that's not. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting that you uh, you bring up the um, the the final scene with um, <clears throat> but uh, between kind of the general and her, and then the fawn being um, being not there for him, but there for her. That was kind of what helped me lean more towards the like you shouldn't use fantasy as a way to distract yourself from the real world because I felt like she was trying to, you know, she was trying to get to the fawn and like, um, she was looking for this deus ex machina that would save her and that would save her mother and the baby she was carrying in these fantasy elements that weren't actually going to save her in the end. Although, you know, the baby thing, the magic root, they burn it. So, you know, the magic is disrupted there, but, um, I, I just I found that you know that whole subjective, um, you know, was the fawn there or not really interesting, because of you know these kind of conflicting uh, interpretations of the film. Yeah, let's talk about that a bit. Um, the specifically about the part where the general doesn't see the fawn and um, Ophelia sees the fawn. Um, the first time I watched the movie, I thought that the general not seeing the fawn was kind of like a definitive proof that all of the fantasy elements of the film were just in her imagination. But upon rewatching um, and getting back to that scene, um, I'm not so inclined to take that interpretation anymore because um, what, the, what the general is seeing is also like his own... It's, it's through, he's seeing these things through his own perception, right? They're filtered through his perception through subjectivity. Right. So it could be that... Um, I think like Daniel brought this up earlier, that like um in his reality there there is like no room for like these fantasy elements so he he that's why like the font he doesn't see the font even if it might exist that that could be like one possibility yeah Uh, i agree with that because i I know you guys kind of defined him as like over the top and all like um 
I found it more a bit more uh, subdued and stoic. Just how um, even when the, the mom um, mentions how they met, he, he at the dinner table in front of everybody, he says uh, he, he says to all the guests uh, something along the lines of "Nobody wants to hear that." Uh, yeah. She's a she's a she's a woman. She likes this sort of stuff. Like oh yeah, kind of like I think kind of leans into like. Um, and it's probably getting into a, a larger discussion, um, but it leans into like this kind of this kind of imp, um, assumed stoicism of um, of just male culture, I guess, machismo. So just kind of like how you've always got to be stoic, you've always got to be tough, no room for emotions. And mm-hmm. He kind of he kind of leans into that very strongly, and uh, because of that, it may, may be is why he doesn't see the fawn at the end because there's no room for that in that kind of world. There's no room for fantasy or illusion um, yeah. or any type, kind of childlike wonder. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I think he is he is uh, this very like masculine figure. And so in traditional masculinity, like you said, you can't have, you know, fantasy or anything like that. Um, What's what's interesting is that um, I you know I think uh, the scene of him not seeing the fawn really says something because no one else, no other adult, gets to see that the the fawn because like if we had a who's who's to say that yeah who's because we only get these like two polar opposite people is like this girl who's living you know living the fairy tale and this this man who's just like I hate everything. And I'm in the middle of war. Um, so because of that, like, you know, who's to say that the mother wouldn't have seen the fawn or, you know, the uh, the um, I'm not really sure what she was, but um, the, you know, house nurse. I don't know what she was. Housemaid. Um, yeah. Housemaid. Yeah. Whatever she was. Um, but like, yeah, it's because it, we only ever this interaction would have only ever happened between these two people and we never get any other side of that. So that's, um, you know, that's another thing to add to that sort of battle of perspective. Yeah. The more I think about this film, the more I think it's about these two perspectives, which I'm not really sure if that's what I should be taking from it or not. No, I think it's, I think it's a good thing to think of, to take uh, from it. Cause I know like Del Toro himself has been, very vocal about how like his obsession with fantasy and like monsters and all this kind of thing and how he kind of views it as like his own like this is like his own world you know and i think that like the 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 film does bring up an interesting conversation on about like the idea of is this like your world does it matter that like your world isn't real or like what is what is it what does it mean to like exist objectively outside of, like, one's own individual perception. Um, yeah. And I think, I think like, definitely upon re-watching the film, um, these ideas become more enhanced for me. Because I think, like, the first time I watched it, I had a pretty simplistic uh, take from from the film. Um, so I think, I think uh, it is definitely one of those films that I, I'd love to revisit sometime in the future. Um, because it, it is very rich. There There is a lot. And I don't think that the film is saying something concrete about this to its own benefit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm just I'm now I'm now like thinking about it and I like can't even put anything into words right now and I'm just I'm <laughs> just thinking about the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh it's um it's deceptively uh simplistic, right? Yeah. All right, maybe that's not the right way to to put it, but No, I I think there's something to be said about like deceptive simplicity in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um cuz uh I don't know. Uh Yeah, I don't know. Maybe simplicity isn't right. Um <laughs> Yeah. I don't uh, uh, ah! <laughs> I don't know. Um, anything else? What have we, uh, what have we not touched upon yet? Um, should we talk about the, I don't know. Uh, you know, the performances are good, are great. I'll say that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we can touch upon the violence because the violence kind of interested me, you know? It's funny like I, because like, I, uh, I remember when I watched this movie the first time, like I, I like noted in my mind, like how like violent it was, but then, uh, I, I like completely forgot I think until I rewatched it and I'm like wow this is like really 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 violent <laughs> yeah. um, and it's kind of like I would I would say that it's kind of violent in um in an overtop way it's definitely not like realistic I would say you know like the whole yeah. the 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 first kill that the um the, that the captain does with the bottle um, I know Nick Nick uh, Nick, the, 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 the two things Nick told me about this movie um, was that he knows that there was a bottle scene in it, and um, it was about, like, fantasies. or fa- Oh, oh and, the, and the Pale Face Man, I think. Yeah. Thing. I think that's everybody. Um, I think that's what everybody knows about the movie who yeah. hasn't seen it yet. <laughs> that, that was me, too. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I completely forgot about the bottle scene. Uh, I think I, I like scrubbed it from my memory because I was so entranced by like the fantastical elements in my first watch, um, and so it was interesting to see like that that that, that like sharp contrast there. Um, yeah, that was it's a lot more violent than I thought it was going to be too. <laughs> Just like you, I, I mean, it it is a you know it's shot kind of dark, so like you don't get to see every detail, but like. You can kind of see that man's face sinking in when after a few blows, and you're just like, "Oh yeah. my god!" Yeah. For me, it's the it's it's a scene when um when the housekeeper uh, stabs Captain Bilal in in the mouth and um, slices his mouth open yeah, to like a half Chelsea grin, that yeah. and then when he when he tries to sew it back together, that for me is is the most um, that is partly most disturbing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it it's definitely not as gruesome as the bottle scene, but it, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me, but it it just grosses me out a little bit more. <laughs> I, I I always forget um, how like uh, in, in Del Toro's work there is this kind of like gross out these like gross out moments like in um, Shape of Water with uh, Michael Shannon's like thumb. I think it is like one of yeah. his fingers is like. Uh, is like broken off and he's like trying to like sew it on and it gets like really gross and like rotted as like the film um you know goes through yeah completely forgot about that yeah yeah it's 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 really gross like i remember like there's like you know like this um like froth coming from it when he when he eventually does rip it off and it's really just like 
Yeah, I don't know. He just really makes it gross. Yeah, I think like it's worse in that scene where he's um having sex with his wife. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he like puts like his like gross hand like over her mouth and uh, with like the thumb and it's like, disgusting. Yeah. I don't know. Thor is really good at violence. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's yes, he's he like he's he's really good at like you know getting under your skin with stuff like that. Um, and it's not it's not the first thing I think of when I when I think about him. I, like I like I said. I oh, absolutely not. I completely yeah. forgot about the violence in this film <laughs> before going into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, um, so I've only ever seen this. Uh, Shape of Water and Pacific Rim. So, um, I like violence isn't necessarily what I associate was what I associated with him, but I might a little bit more now simply because, you know, Pacific Rim was a PG thirteen action movie that really only featured the horrific deaths of giant eighty foot monsters. So, <laughs> true. true. <laughs> um, this kind of like visceral violence that goes along with it is just it's a lot it's a lot and i think it adds to both of the films that i've seen which include it hmm. i'm just kind of yeah because because kind of, yeah. both of those uh both shape of water and this are kind of those that blending of fantasy and reality and you know this kind of visceral like uh grievous injuries um what kind of grounds the two in some ways it's not the only thing that grounds them but it's certainly like part of like this isn't completely fantasy yes you can still die and i think that's um that's an important layer to uh to that kind of storytelling yeah um not that i disagree with what you're saying but it is weird how the violence both kind of grounds the film and also in my opinion enhances the fantastical aspects because True. it's so like over the top you know no i get that too and i you know like the thumb thing in shape of water is definitely like yeah like uh, like who would do this, that? this probably this probably wouldn't happen exactly yeah um, but but but, but yeah. it's still just so gross that like you can't ignore it mm -hmm. and i think that you know that's definitely that adds to it yeah it's it's strange i'm trying to think about um the other two Spanish films that he directed um, that are within the Criterion box set. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about... You've like, seen both of them? Yeah, I've seen all of them. They're good. Uh, the other ones are Kronos and The Devil's Backbone. I would definitely recommend those. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think about like the violence in those films. Do you remember that, Daniel? Yeah, The Devil's Backbone is definitely, um, definitely more gruesome than um, Kronos. I mean, there's... Um, I don't want to spoil it for that, but there, there, there's a, there, there's a pretty, pre pretty gruesome death of a of a kid, and hmm. um, uh, and there's, it's it's hard to talk about the violence, uh, but uh, there is this one big, moment um, that leaves a lot of people uh, really bloody and scarred up. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. I feel like the violence, almost. I, you know, I think it, I think it uh, might outdo Pan's Labyrinth in that aspect. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because I just recently rewatched uh, Devil's Backbone, um, 
Yeah, I think the violence definitely is outdone in that one. Kronos is more, is less so violence and just straight up gross out. Um, mm, yeah. Uh, if if you remember, like there's the there's the the special effects of the the um the old guy whose his skin is like peeling off and everything like real yeah, Tom Savini like. I think I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, it's weird because like um I guess I did watch these movies a couple of years ago, but I, I like don't remember much of the violence from them. At least not in yeah. It's weird that you say like the Devil's Backbone might be more violent than Pans because I don't I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I mean, there's the, there's the uh, big fire. Uh, I, I, I can't dance yeah. around it. Like, there, there's a big yeah, fire yeah, yeah. Okay, right. yeah, the entire right. orphanage. Yeah, right, I mean, right, I, right. I just can't, I can't talk about it without just saying it. But yeah. there, I know. I'm so, I'm so sorry that I'm like the one here holding back this conversation. <laughs> no, <laughs> no it, it's okay. Um, hey, all this means that you get to check out that film. That's true. I and it I is, do want to check it out now. It is very good. Yeah. Um, it, it, would you say that the Pans is still your favorite Del Toro, or? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, I think me too. I think Devil's Backbone, though, it's, like, pretty close second. Yeah, yeah. For, for a while, I actually thought it was better, but then rewatching them again, it's it's definitely Pans, Labyrinth, for sure. Hmm. I mean, I mean, Devil's Backbone is fantastic, but, um, yeah. you know, Pans Labyrinth, I think, just really elevates the fantastical elements which I think is something that Del Toro um, throughout his career has just been, it, it's kind of his thing. And yeah, um, I, I don't think any of his other films really capture it as well. I agree. I think that, yeah. um, I, I wouldn't say that like he struggles with like elevating it in his other films, but I think like maybe this is the first time he's tried to make a film like, about fantasy you know not like containing fantasy but like about like the idea yeah. of fantasy um and i think it really really works here yeah not so much that he struggles but i, I think it's just done best here um yeah. and maybe it's just that contrast with the the violence and the the brutality of the war going on that that kind of elevates the the fantasy there um kind of makes it stick out a little bit more mm, yeah 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 um i i'd say that like shape of water still might be my favorite but like i said i haven't seen a lot of his stuff and this is it, it's really about expectation i think uh you know this might change because i am thinking about the film a lot and i'm thinking about you know all that it does but i really just i i was expecting something else when i came into this i was expecting a lot more of the fantasy elements and I got a lot more of the war than I was expecting to, hmm. um, but it is it is nonetheless a very interesting and very well made film. But um, I don't know. I I saw Shape of Water and like I fell in love with it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw Shape of Water first. That was the first Del Toro movie I'd seen. Um, and I really like it. I really like Shape of Water as well. It's great. I really like that one yeah. too. I think that's the first one I saw was um, Pacific Rim. I saw it in theaters when I was like in middle school. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I I guess Pacific Rim was my first, but it's hard to call that a, a Del Toro film, especially like when now comparing them to uh, 
Shape of Water and Pan's Labyrinth because that feels nothing like that now. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean, it, it, it might a little bit once I haven't seen that movie in a little bit either. But um, yeah, I don't really remember it that much either. Um, but from what I've from what I've heard and what I do remember, it, it it does feel like Del Toro is directing like a kaiju movie. You know, yeah, there, there is definitely like a like a kind of if we go back to like auteur theory, right? I think that definitely exists. Um, there, there, there is kind of like this idea of like a Del Toro movie, at least from what I've watched. Um, and it feels like for there's de- yeah, there's a definite sense of style that um, I could immediately link with, you know, Shape of Water as being in the same kind of um, you know, shot kind of the same way, lit the same way. I, w- um, I would say though that style is also very much present in um, Pacific Rim. Although, yeah. uh, like, the genre takes, like, a, a foreground. The genre is obviously a very different one for yeah. um, from these two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you may be right. Um, I haven't seen, you know, Pacific Rim in a little bit, and I'd be interested to see if I kind of pick up on that style a little bit more if I watch it again. Because mm. I do like that movie. I remember hating that movie when I saw it in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just I cannot do kaiju movies. I don't think. Damn, that's so sad. <laughs> that's a whole big monster fight genre that you just don't like. That's just, so sad. I cannot deal with them. Yeah, I mean you're gonna miss out on the greatest movie of the year coming up soon. Bruh. Godzilla vs. Kong. Monkey v. Lizard. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that goes. If, if he Nick should he should have directed that. Oh, he just Del Toro. I feel like- I feel like Del Toro really wants to make a kaiju movie. Like, I mean, I haven't seen Pacific Rim, and uh, um, I always got kind of got the feeling that that was his, uh, h- him making a, trying his best to make a kaiju movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but to do one like head on, like, like yeah. just like you know some Godzilla or you know some other creature. Um, God, I would love to see what he does with like just, you know, one monster. I mean, at this rate, he'll probably come up with his own monster. I don't know. Yeah, he, he probably will, and then abandon <laughs> it, and then pick it up again, and then you know, it'll it'll stall in development hell, and we'll never see it. And then in seventy years, he'll be like an old man wandering out of his 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 museum home that hopefully hasn't burned down, and <laughs> <laughs> he will he will be like, I am finally making <laughs> the kaiju movie, and we're all gonna cheer. <laughs> Oh, I'm very excited for his new one, uh, Nightmare Alley. After watching this, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was already on board with Del Toro, but like after this, I am so much more interested in watching like a lot of his stuff now. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's coming out at the end of the year. And Noah's that soon. Hopefully. Hopefully. That's <laughs> we'll hopefully. Yeah. Pretty much any release date at this point, you have to add an asterisk at the end. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so he's sad. also making a Pinocchio movie. I well, heard about that I heard that was going to be like his next project, and then now suddenly it's Nightmare Alley. Yeah, you know, you know how Del Toro goes. Yep. Uh, apparently, his Pinocchio project is going to be set uh, during the rise of fascism and Mussolini's Italy. Oh my god! 
so that's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. It's like um, a Pan's Labyrinth version of Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah, I had like no interest in this until I read the little description. So we'll see about that. I don't know if this says something about me or about uh, my taste in movies, but you said fascism, and my mind immediately went to Solo. Hell yeah. <laughs> We need to do a solo <laughs> podcast one day. It's too good of a movie to just leave hanging. Oh no! <laughs> Funny peepee poopoo movie. Dude, Pasolini is my. I'm boy. surprised you guys haven't done it yet. Yeah, but, but that means we have to watch Solo again, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Are you yeah. saying that like that's a bad thing? That's a good point. Yeah, we got through like halfway of a Cannibal Holocaust last night, and like we could just not finish it. So decided crazy. there was no redeeming quality to this it's, especially it's with so the, the murder of just actual animals yeah like they were literally just like killing animals on screen like bro yeah. i i thought like i heard that there was like um i had a dream about a severed animal head last night and i'm absolutely attributing that to uh to that turtle scene jesus christ yeah oh god the turtle scene is so fucking gross um i i, I didn't think that um that movie would be like this bad i thought like there would be like animal cruelty but it wouldn't be like the forefront, but no, it's like it's like literally just like all about animal cruelty. Like you're just, it's just a camera pointing at an animal being like mutilated. It's so gross. Yeah, I don't think there's a movie that I haven't been able to finish in a while, except for this past weekend when I watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I could not finish that. Really? No. <laughs> Isn't George Clooney in that movie? That may be the sequel, he, but I thought he was, but he's actually in the sequel. I even put that on Damn my letterbox review. <laughs> Damn it! What was All what right. was uh, so bad about that one? Oh, uh, it's just it, it's, it's like they try to spoof off like B movies. I mean, this made in the seventies, so it's like spoofing off like B movies of like the fifties and sixties. But it's the jokes just don't land. Hmm. It, it's it's just cringe. It's very it cringe. just is. I wonder if you have to be into uh, that that kind of genre of like fifties B movies to uh, appreciate it more. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying that it is good or bad. I haven't seen it, so. But I wonder if that helps. Probably. It might. I got. It I might. got to assume that it that it probably would. But um, you know, might just be a bad movie. People think, don't. People don't seem to like it. I think the only. <laughs> way you could like cannibal holocaust is if you were actually into like animal mutilation probably probably that one that the funny thing about cannibal holocaust is like it's a very talked about film but i don't think i've seen anybody who's talked about it who actually likes it yeah yeah i just wanted to get to the um the like found footage parts where um like they were they were showing like the gruesome like I don't know, dude. I'm I, I'm tempted to finish it and just skip over any bits where there's just like unnecessary animal cruelty. Alright, we'll do it tonight. Just to kind of see where that ends. Because I I I did watch a video about it kind of talking about what the message of the film is and I was kind of getting it, but obviously I can't overlook how f absolutely terrible like mm -hmm. the actions taken in the film are. The thing um, is, like I mean, okay. Let me get this out there. I'm not advocating for animal cruelty. It's not a good thing. But I can usually deal with it in films if it's not, like, so grotesque, you know, and so, like, a centerpiece, I guess. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, like, there's a scene in um, Andrei Rublyov where, like, apparently they shot, like, a horse in the head 
And, like, that's the scene where, like, the horse is, like, tumbling down, like, the stairs. Um, and, like, I could, I, I was, like, able to, like, get through that scene because it wasn't, like, so gratuitous, I guess. Yeah, I completely forgot about that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. about War and Peace. Uh, that, that one has a ton of animal cruelty in there, but the movie's, like, so long, I think you just forget it, too. Yeah, I really want to take that one out soon. Um, but yeah. I, I want to read the book first. The House that Jack Built. Don't, don't ever forget that that's the movie with such realistic animal cruelty that PETA defended it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> They're just like, that's right, serial killers do torture small animals before they become full-fledged serial killers. That's so funny. The fact, <laughs> that, the fact that that wasn't real, I, I have, like, no idea how they did that. That's crazy. I, I do. That's, yeah. oh, my heart breaks every time I see that scene. That, oh, that God, yeah, cute terrible. little duck. Yeah. I know. Um, there's a... Go watch The House That Jack Built. <laughs> it's great. Uh, we're talking about a scene in The House That Jack Built where, like, the main character, like, clips off the uh like the like duck feed so great oh yeah oh i haven't seen it but that that's um i don't know that sounds like it's tough to watch oh it's 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 definitely one of the hardest movies to watch it's also an amazing movie we saw it in theaters (laughs) yeah it's fun (laughs) yeah every everyone everyone in the theater was just very uncomfortable throughout that entire experience i think funny it was the um that was the only night it was released um uncut in america and like they actually got in trouble with the mpaa because of because of that yeah i think i heard about all that when it came out yeah we were we were pretty lucky um, we were we were we were uh debating on whether or not the film was real because we were the only ones allowed to yeah. see that version of it <laughs> just like a for a little while after. <laughs> or just like a collective fever dream um but anyway we, we trade a little bit from uh from the film so i think it's a good time to uh to wrap up yeah, our discussion. just a little bit just a little i guess bit. so just a little bit it's a good thing to wrap up our discussion of pan's labyrinth um, yeah, it's violence we were talking about violence at true, least. True, true, true. there's a through line all right anyway but um but yeah let's let's uh wrap things up anything y'all want to add um good film good film yeah good yeah film. very good very good um so um, let's move on <laughs> To the last part of our of our show where we talk about what we've been watching listening to playing or reading daniel what have you been watching listening to reading or playing um all right so reading um well i still work at the comic book store so i get all the i get the comic books um and just uh, right when they come out, and then return them right after I read them. So I've been keeping oh, okay. up with these with uh, the newest DC event that they've been doing called Future State. Hmm. So they're basically putting all um, all their big character storylines on pause, and just focusing on um, on newer characters. Um, I mean, they're still bringing back um, the the standard characters like Bruce Wayne or um, Nightwing and all that. Um, but they've done some cool stuff. Um, they gave one of uh, Alicia's Fox son um, the. Um, they gave him the Batman mantle. Uh, they they're doing a new Wonder Woman. Um, who's her comic is really really good. She's uh, um, Brazilian, right? In, in yeah, that iteration, yeah. I've yeah, I've heard a little bit about Future State. So, yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah, I've been really, really um, liking it so far. Some of them have been haven't been that great. Um, I didn't care for the Flash comic, but that's also because I don't read Flash anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, Green Lantern was okay. Um, they're doing a new Green Lantern, which is better. Um, and uh, um, they put her comic on pause because of Future State. Um, yeah, that's what I've been reading, listening. Um, for like the past month and a half or so, I've just kind of been listening nonstop to MF Doom and Aesop Rock. Um, yeah, yeah, MF Doom because of his passing, and uh, I don't know, I, I couldn't get over it, so <laughs> I just kind of, uh, kind of just listening to him nonstop for like a month straight. Hmm. Um, I'm kind of getting back into um, listening to uh, metal music again, so getting back into um, what I used to listen to. Um, um, not too long ago, maybe like a year, year and a half, but for like the longest time, um, hip hop and MF Doom, Jay Dilla, that's kind of been my lane for a while. Um, yeah, I've uh, oh. I got into MF Doom like relatively recently because um, it was passing yeah. through, and my yeah. God, I was I was missing out. M, M Food, yeah. like, <laughs> M Food is like one of my favorite albums of all time now. It's so good. Where's it's a so good, good place to start? Because I, I haven't listened to anything. Mm, food is a good place. Yeah. Mm, food? All right. Yeah. I'll go mm, ahead. Food. This man has a whole song about beef rap, and he it's just basically, uh, <laughs> he, he starts it off by saying that um, it, it could, I don't remember the lines exactly, but it could lead to heart attack, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, heart disease or whatever. Like, beef rap will kill you, but also the food beef rap will kill you. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a line that's that, that I love. Um, it's uh, all rappers shut up, and while you're shutting up, keep a button up, or at least a keep a shirt on, or at least a button up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dude, his, his rhymes uh, are looking he's amazing. Great. Yeah, he's great. Um, those the other two, watching and what else? Playing. Uh, yeah, playing. Uh, listening, uh, reading. Uh, playing. So um, I've been playing a lot of video games, but um, uh, I was playing Crash Four recently. Nice. Uh, love that series. Um, probably my second favorite series, game series. Drawn knows my favorite is Uncharted. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, and I was playing this game that, that was uh, kind of like in the vein of Little Nightmares um, called Shady Part of Me, um, which is kind of cool. I, I, I don't really know how to explain the plot so much because I didn't get too far into it, but basically there's this girl who's trying to navigate out of this weird house but she's scared of light but then at the same time um her shadow is kind of the opposite she because uh, she's a shadow she lives in the light surrounding her mm. she's scared of the dark so as you move one character the other one moves in the background but the shadow moves in the background so that that one's kind of fun for like um it's it's another uh, puzzle uh, platformer, so like Little Nightmare, so it's it's kind of just been fun as like uh, um, passive gaming, I guess, just just something to like relax to. What's uh what's that on? What uh, platform? Uh, it's on PS4. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's on another platform. Hmm. Interesting. That sounds really cool from like yeah the mechanic perspective. Yeah, it's been great. Um, Oh, watching. So I've uh, I've been watching a ton of movies. Um, yes, I'll I'll just go through the past week. Just yeah. uh, 
um, rapid fire. Just uh, so I watched the Edge of the Axe on Arrow Player. That was a slasher. Hmm. Uh, Malcolm and Mary on Netflix. Oh, Didn't God. care for it. Yeah, I, I've, been, no. I've been hearing a lot about that. Do you mind like uh, telling me? Cause I'm, I'm like kind of curious. It looks like terrible, from what I've heard. It... The cinematography is great. Hmm. The acting is great. For the most part, <laughs> but uh, those, that's like as far as I can go, like compliment it. But the um, the performances really do go over the top. Like I, I think so many like of these movies, I think you could probably blame it on like seats from marriage, where you just kind of stick to people, a, a troubled couple in a room, and just watch them argue back and forth for a couple hours. I think so many people try to copy that. It doesn't, it doesn't work if you don't have the writing. Or, like, um, with, with mixed results. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I yeah. heard that, like, um, it's been compared to, like, Cassavetes, that film. A little bit. I think it's too stylized for to be Cassavetes. Like, the cinematography is, at least in the first few scenes, is very elaborate. Like, the, like there's just this wide shot of, um, wide shot covering both of them but they're both in different parts of the room so you get to so this shot is covering them from outside and it's covering like a very um wide distance in the in, in the house so it I, I don't know i i haven't seen that much casavetti so maybe i'm kind of just talking out of my ass but i, I don't know um the, the script though I, I think you were about to get on that though that that's where the uh problems are though for me mm. um if you've read um, any reviews or anything, you've probably heard this, but Sam Levinson basically inserts himself into John David Washington, and it's so cringe. Yeah. And he just goes on, like, everybody, like, the critics, Barry Jenkins. I, I don't know why he's just got this, like... But what's the opposite of, like, a hard-on? Like, what, what's the opposite of that? Like, a... What, like... Hate boner? <laughs> yeah, hate boner, there you go. I, I, hate boner yes he's got this hate boner for barry jenkins like that's so weird what? It, it's weird like he brings him up like four times in the movie <laughs> barry jenkins sold out to direct lion king too dude i can't i can't true, blame true, him true, true, yeah uh, i have to unfollow him on twitter now uh, <laughs> yeah but yeah Malcolm, I, saw, I saw some like really uh, like weird screen grabs of like some of the uh some of the lines like i think like one of the lines was um the reason why uh, uh, Moonlight was so good was because, like, Barry Jenkins wasn't gay, so, like, it would be more universal or something like that. Yeah, that's the, that's the same monologue that he goes on to when he, when he talks about the critics and how, like, the critics, like, will always blow things out of proportion and make it cultural and kind of look at the larger picture and use words like the horrors of society and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and just saying um, that as a filmmaker, he's not trying to make a film that like three of his classmates in his media studies class will enjoy. He's trying he's trying to make a film, and that that's not an elitist behavior. And like, I, I don't know. That's it's really weird. That to me, I don't know. That to me is like him, him just not being able to accept criticism. Like, yeah, that that sounds really weird. like. Uh... I mean, at that point, just like write like a like a fucking op-ed, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, they exaggerate just how bad the critics can be. By, uh, I mean, of course they have to to get their point across, but it's done in such a way that I've never seen a critic be that pretentious. Hmm. Where 
they'll take a film about a girl trying to get clean and make it about the horrors of the, the, the healthcare system in the U.S. Um, that's I don't know. I, well, I think that's just because, like, the way movie, out of it's usually because the movie is about the horrors of the healthcare system of the U.S. <laughs> I mean, how dare your film yeah. have meaning? That's so dumb. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um. Then I watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, greatest film ever made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Hexen. Um, oh, nice. I got and... that yeah. yeah, it's really good. I thought about writing about it for the site, but um, then this Martin Scorsese thing came up, so I think I'll write about that instead. Very excited to, to read that. Yeah, thanks. And then I watched Blood and Black Lace, mm-hmm. uh, Zama, um, The Possessed to kind of keep going with the jello. And uh, now watch this underground movie called Pan's Labyrinth. What's that? Is it good? It's horrible. That sucks. I have to check out um, Zama. Um, and we talked about it before in the podcast. I definitely want to check out uh, Blood and Black Lace. But there's some solid, solid stuff recently. Seems like. Yeah, I'd say for Zama, try watching La Cienega first. I think that one's also on Criterion Channel. Is um, that by uh, Marcel? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just that her style is very hard to get into. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen anything by her, but like she's been on my on my radar for a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll definitely check those out. Is that also? Um, uh, Zama's like leaving soon, right? Through the Criterion Channel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll do that. Better get on that. Better get on that. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, Duran. Yes. What have you been watching, reading, listening to? Um. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I haven't really been listening to anything new. I listened to a bit of Radiohead, Amnesiac. Um. I haven't been reading. I haven't been playing anything. <laughs> just been watching things as usual yeah i i only have like three other movies on on my log um, here so like we watched uh before midnight it's pretty good of course um, oh, i love that movie oh so good i think it's my favorite of the midnight trilogy of the before trilogy yeah. um i saw i'll uh, i'll skip over the ones that we saw together nick sure. um i saw ma rainey's black bottom which i did not like um it was like it it just could have stayed a play it, it didn't really <laughs> distinguish itself in in the medium that it chose i like the movie anyway but i absolutely get what you're saying is that like it didn't feel much of a of a uh, di- you know distinguish uh it didn't distinguish itself it just mm-hmm. it it could have the cinematography is very cool, but like I feel like it it emphasizes the fact that you're staying in this one room, which didn't really help it either. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know, in my opinion. Yeah, kind of kind of sounds like Fences to me. I don't know if you guys have. Uh, yeah, seen well, it's that it's yeah. that's also an August Wilson play. So yeah, yeah. funny. Really. <laughs> um, and then actually, I haven't been watching that many movies. I guess I've been, I've been busy catching up for the stuff for class, but. Um, Nick and I, I guess Nick, you'll go over the other ones. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've been, I started the, uh, the new Adam Curtis miniseries, um, can't get you out of my head. 
an emotional history of the modern world. It's very, very interesting so far. Um, so it's, it's talking about like um, how we've gotten to this point of um, conspiracy culture, um, like worldwide. And it kind of goes and, and, and kind of argues that a lot of the roots of that come from like hyper individualism and huh. like the paranoia it creates around you. Um, and actually it brings up, um, Jim Garrison, who's, uh, the, what, what the movie JFK is about. He's the, he's the main character of that film. Um, and how like he created this like conspiracy about the JFK assassination. Um, it talks about like one of his theories that you have to, you have to stop thinking about the logical, about what makes sense and like cause and effect. You just need to look for, um, patterns and this is how like you shape your understanding of the world um and so the the the, uh, the miniseries argues that there are like actual conspiracies of course like mk ultra and you know a lot of other weird stuff the us and many other governments have done but um the like hyper conspiratorial mindset that a lot of americans and like other people around the world have gotten themselves into distract them from like the the real conspiracies that are actually harming them so it's very interesting. Have you seen any uh, Adam Curtis documentaries? I have not. I haven't either. Um, the I actually watched one for, um, for Professor Asnuk's class. Um, uh, all washed over by machines of, uh, all washed over by machines of loving grace. Also very very good. He, uh, he has this very like, specific kind of like a video essay style um and he like kind of does this thing where like he talks about like a lot of like broad topics um and then like brings them all together some might accuse him of oversimplification but um i would say that he's uh kind of a, a maverick he has like his own way of doing things very cool highly recommend that yeah i'm looking it up on we i looked it up on wikipedia i'm confused as to why the demon from death note is on the, the, the wikipedia image yeah <laughs> i think that was like that was like one of the promotional images um i saw a little bit of it i think in the first episode i think they're probably gonna bring up like tiktok i think that's like from like a tiktok or something um ah. but yeah mm -hmm. it's like it's, it's this really cool like cross media cross cultural like analysis of the world um that he does um so it's, it's, it's a strange guy but that's that's it for me Nick, what have you been watching, listening to, reading, or playing? Well, uh, honestly, we haven't watched much since Black Swan. I've seen four movies, and one of them was Pan's Labyrinth. Um, <laughs> so uh, in the past few days, I have seen Suspiria again. Um, the uh, the original, I should say. Um Hey, you know, I, I love that movie. I love the movie and its colors and uh, its setting and its its weird gothic, like, you know, it's, I, I don't know, it's just weird. I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what more to say about Suspiria. Just, just go watch it. Um, we also watched Who Killed Captain Alex. Hell yeah, we did. Um... That's honestly one of the most enjoyable movies I've ever watched. Um, the the whole like thing that they have going on with the the VJ 
who's like narrating the whole thing and like making jokes the whole time. That that's my favorite, dude. I love that. I I wish other movies would have that. Um, Every single movie needs a hype man. Yeah. <laughs> so so if experience. if if you have not seen Captain Alex, um, in the movie there is this like other voice that's it's not any of the people in the movie it's it's just like a narration kind of but it's not explaining anything happening in the film it's just a guy like remarking about the movie and it's the absolute <laughs> best and like because it's, it's so ridiculous and silly yeah and most of what he's doing is just like remarking about how cool the movie is so he's like yeah um Action is coming. Action That's where is, that yeah, phrase comes action from. Is coming. Um, who killed Captain Alex is the movie. That's like yeah. a favorite line from the entire. <laughs> That's movie. just something he says during. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch this. Um, but it's you know it's available on Prime. Just just watch it because it's just it's so funny. And if nothing else, you're gonna laugh your ass off watching it. Yeah, um, I think. Um, but it's it's you know what's funny is that like the fight scenes in the movie are like actually pretty good. Oh yeah, that, that, uh, the hand to hand combat is really good. Yeah. Mostly because I think their hand to hand people are like actual trained guys who are just kind of like doing that on the side. But because of that, they're like they're actually good at what they're doing. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, go 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 see who killed Captain Alex and support Wakaliwood. Wakaliwood. I think that um, <laughs> they have who Captain Alex and um, Bad Black. Oh, on, dude, nice! Uh, we have to watch Bad Black. They have it. On, I had um, so much fun watching Captain Alex. I'd be very down to watch it. They have them on um, AeroPlayer. The uh, oh, the, nice uh, the Aero streaming service. So I'll sub yeah. to that. We'll watch it there. <laughs> who killed Captain Alex is actually there too. I was, I was about to watch that this week. You should. Uh, Sandra Ron had watched it. Go do it's it. It's so good. It. Um. So we also watched uh, Three Days of the Condor. Kind of like uh, a conspiracy film. Yeah, uh -huh. it's... I, I describe it as like a prototype to the Bourne movies, but like if they were boring and not good. Uh, I don't know. It's it's not terrible. It's just sort of like... It's very middling. It's just... It, eh. <laughs> it kind of sucks too, because like the cast is like amazing. Like it's got... Yeah. Robert Redford, it's got Faye Dunaway, it's got Max von Sydow. Oh, damn. Yeah, but like, um, and don't get me wrong, Max von Sydow is great in this movie. He plays like an assassin. Um, yeah. Like one of the antagonists. He's, he's amazing. But like, the movie itself is like pretty boring because most of it takes place like in um, like Faye Dunaway's apartment where like nothing is happening and they're just like talking about how weird everything is. I don't know if most of it takes place, but it certainly feels like it just fucking drags during those scenes really, really, really hard. Yeah, and uh, it's also very, like, weird and sexist. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the, uh, the romance is just simply not good. Yeah, it's it, the romance is very bad. I think, I don't really blame Faye Dunaway here, but, like, her performance wasn't amazing. But that's also because, like, she wasn't really giving anything to work with. Yeah, that was. Did you guys watch that? Like Robert Redford, Robert Redford, go perform romance on <laughs> Faye Dunaway. That was the entire direction yeah, he was given. Did you guys watch that for the conspiracy class? Yeah, yeah, that we yeah. did. Um, oh, do you guys? Do you guys have to watch the Parallax for that? Yep, we're gonna watch. I'm sure uh, we will at some point. I think oh. we're watching all the uh, Pakula films. Oh, I did not care for that one. <laughs> oh, really? 
Clued is, Clued is okay. I don't know if you guys are going to watch Clued. Yeah, Clued we're going to okay. watch Clued. I'm very excited for Clued. I'm so excited. Clued. Yeah. <laughs> the um, single greatest film. Um, uh, that was, I think, honestly, though, I think this was the first Dot of the Conspiracy class. Like, the rest of the stuff we watched yeah. was pretty good. We watched um, two Frankenheimer films, uh, Manchurian Candidate and Seven Days in May, which were both really, really good. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing we already kind of talked about, and I won't really touch on more, is Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I marked it as watched, even though we didn't finish it, uh, just because I wasn't even sure that I would ever come back to it. But uh, oh, oh, Nick, oh, we tonight, might finish this tonight after we're done with this podcast. We will finish the film. OK, we'll do it. <sighs> yeah, Except I guess gonna, we we're, will. We're going to skip all the really gross animal cruelty scenes yeah all right well um yeah that's you know and then pan's labyrinth which we obviously yeah. just had a conversation about so decent um decent yeah, okay. if i do say so myself yeah it's like it's um like a, like a like a two yeah it's being respectful well Daniel, <laughs> thank you for joining us hope you had a good time yes. yeah this is this is fun Go check out um, Hell yeah. Daniel's webpage. Uh, was it again? Two. <laughs> two <laughs> very good plugs. Two thirty-seven. Two thirty-seven. Two thirty-seven. Cinema. Dot wordpress. Dot com. Definitely check it out. It's really, really, really cool stuff. Um, and I hope you'll you'll join us again sometime. Yep. We got to make this happen again. All right. All right. Thanks All right. for having me. All right. Thanks for being here, man. Yep. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.